You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you're joining us. It's been more than 10 years of ongoing negotiations and work to try to get the Michigan State Fairgrounds redeveloped. And now it's supposedly finally happening, and plans are moving forward to build an Amazon distribution center here in Detroit. Here to tell us a bit about the deal and how it could impact the city's economy is former Detroit Free Press reporter Nathan Bomey, who's now a business reporter with USA Today. Nathan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me, Stephen. How are you? Yeah, I'm, it's good to it's good to hear you. Uh, let's talk about this deal for the fairgrounds. Um, tell us a little bit about what's happening with Amazon and Detroit, and sort of how this all comes together at the corner of Woodward and Eight Mile. Well, of course, as you said, that property has been empty, essentially abandoned for as long as we can remember. And, you know, Amazon, when they need warehousing and distribution sites, they look for tons of land, tons of property. And, you know, logistics and distribution is really what this company is all about now. And, of course, that property is pretty close there to the interchange of 696 and I-75. And so... When you've got major freeways right there, and of course you got Woodward as well, um, you know you've got uh, you're close to the Canadian border as well with the bridge there. You know that's a significant reason why they want to be there, I think. But you know they could have gone anywhere. I think it's pretty interesting that they uh, are willing to be inside the city borders. That's probably a good sign for the city in the sense that they weren't scared off by you know corporate income tax, for example, mm-hmm. and no one's tax incentives as far as I understand on this deal. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that everybody who uses Amazon, which is almost everybody, it seems, really understands the business model that Amazon employs and how these distribution centers play into that that business model. Talk a little bit about what this place is, how many people it might employ, and how important it is to Amazon's sort of promise of easy, fast delivery of just about everything. Yeah, I mean, I think that this, we're talking about a company now that has warehousing and distribution sites throughout the country, pretty much every state, and, you know, in many communities, even in Michigan, I think they're looking at about 1,200 jobs at this particular site, $400 million investment. And this is critical to what they do because uh, they need to have products stored in their own warehouses so that they can fulfill their own promise of same day or next day delivery in many cases. I mean, you know, this is a company that's guaranteeing uh, two day delivery with its Amazon Prime membership. So, you know, really they are a threat, not just to the retailers of the world, but to the logistics and distribution companies of the world, because FedEx and UPS are really competitors at this point. And so they're delivering some of their own products. And as they continue to do that, they will continue to infringe on the territory of those logistics companies, even as they continue to work with them in some ways. And so um, this is, you know, a company that shows no signs of slowing down. And of course, you know, um, that's also triggering some uh, concerns in Washington and in governments throughout the country. Hmm. And is this a big employer for the city of Detroit? Is this something that would be on par with the other big employers that we've been trying to attract to the city? Well, I mean, 1,200 jobs is 
certainly significant. I mean, I, it's obviously not going to be anywhere close to, you know, what Dan Gilbert's companies employ or, you know, Fiat Chrysler, for example, or General Motors downtown. But when you're talking about 1,200 employees and, you know, and growing, uh, I, I think that that is uh, going to be extremely notable, especially because a lot of these jobs are going to be, um, you know, pretty entry-level positions or, you know, jobs at maybe $15 an hour or a little bit more. So, you know, the question is, does it really replace the kind of, you know, well-paid, uh, dependable manufacturing type of jobs the city of Detroit historically relied upon mm. for decades? And I think the answer there is not so much. I mean, these are not unionized positions. These are not really that well-paid, but at the end of the day, city of Detroit's you know jobless crisis, which has obviously been going on for decades at this point, you know this this will certainly do something to help with that. Hmm. And what are the things that we are maybe losing out on by not doing them at the at the fairgrounds? <clears throat> as you said, and as I said in the open, this is a spot that's been empty since the fair left that uh, that left that spot. I can remember at least three or four other proposals for development. One that really sticks out in my mind involved Magic Johnson and his chain of movie theaters that right. they talked about uh, taking that spot and developing it. It seems to me like that would have been maybe a bigger or higher use for that spot than an Amazon distribution center. Uh, talk about why we ended up in this space instead of – some of those other deals that people have have floated. Well, it's a good question, you know, and I, I don't know if uh, Magic Johnson and his team of investors couldn't line up the financing that they needed for something like that. Why precisely they felt like they couldn't get it together? But I think there's so much pressure on retail right now and on in-person experiences, especially since the the pandemic. I mean, I think if you know, there was demand perhaps before this for some sort of major retail and entertainment complex that that was immediately called into question. I mean, the whole retail sector has been upended uh, because even malls that were in the malls that had pivoted and started investing in things like entertainment and experiences like movie theaters, like you just mentioned, even those malls, which were supposed to be ahead of the game, they're suddenly in trouble because now we're wondering, are people going to go back and shop in person and do things in person after this is over? And so, you know, I don't know precisely why this land couldn't get the couldn't, you know, find some other um, option that could be financed over the years. I think the good news is that Detroit still has plenty of land, plenty of property throughout the city that hopefully can be used for that sort of purpose. Of course, this particular property, though, had such a unique location and the historic implications there. I think a lot of us wanted to see something that would have uh, attracted a lot of foot traffic. Mm. And the other thing that is coming with this deal is a redevelopment of the transit hub that is there, which I think is a important to DDOT, which that's kind of the end of the line for a number of different bus routes. But it's also strategically important when you're thinking about the transit development that we hope is coming with uh, with some of the things that we've we've decided to do in the last few years. This is this is a pivotal spot on the map. And getting a, a, a sort of transit upgrade, I guess, at that corner means means something to the city as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the blocking and tackling of city government is the investment in everyday transit, for example, that, that is significant for the city. And we, we can talk all day about, you know, really fancy, expensive investments that might, you know, warrant a press conference. But the reality is that something as basic as a transit center in a very strategically located place like this can actually make a big difference over time. You know, the more those types of services that that we add, the more people will be able to get to their jobs. And ultimately, you know, that will uh, get the lifeblood of the city's economy going again. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Nathan Bomey, a USA Today business reporter, formerly with the Detroit Free Press. We're talking about this new deal to redevelop the state fairgrounds at Woodward and 8 Mile as an Amazon giant new distribution center. A call if you want and tell us what you think of this use for that property. <clears throat> call and tell us if you remember the State Fair, like I do from being a kid here growing up in Detroit, and how long it's been since that site was in any use at all. It has been abandoned for such a long time. Give us a call and let us know what you think of this the idea to, to let Amazon dominate that corner uh, the way that uh, the State Fair used to. Uh, Also, give us a call and let us know if this is a place that you might find employment here in Southeast Michigan. 1,200 new jobs will uh, accompany the the Amazon Distribution Center when it opens. Also, do you think this could usher in a new era of development here in Detroit because this deal is being done without the tax incentives that have been so controversial uh, in the development of many other sites here in the city of Detroit. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Also, in a little bit, we're going to talk a little more about Amazon and its relationship to other retailers. We are seeing Amazon now talking about taking over some of the abandoned retail spots in American malls, uh, a huge expansion for them physically, but also uh, in a bigger sense, it really does define this tension that exists between uh, other retailers uh, and, and Amazon, which it is really crushing in terms of competition. But again, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. Nathan, before we go to listeners, uh, I want to talk a little more about the tax incentive uh, dimension of this. That is something that we have a lot of arguments about here in the city of Detroit. There are lots of people who believe that, uh, that in particular, when companies get tax incentives, we ought to get more back in exchange for that. There have not been major developments or many major developments in the city that didn't have to rely on on those kinds of tax incentives. The excuse always has been that it's very difficult to make money off of development in Detroit, that the margins are much smaller than they would be in other communities. And so you've got to help businesses think that it's worth it. Why would someone like Amazon be able to forego those incentives. Is that about Amazon and its financial health being as big as it is? Or is it about the city of Detroit turning a corner a little bit and maybe being able to promise better outcomes to people who want to develop sites here? 
I think it's probably a mix of both because I think Amazon is an extremely efficiently run company. Of course, uh, Jeff Bezos is sort of famous for his, you know, the way he runs a tight ship. So I think that's part of it. But I also think that it's probably a proof point for the city in its uh, in its its desire to pivot toward you know, much more sustainable development, you know, especially because this is obviously such a long way from downtown. Now, now clearly it's really along the, you know, the Woodward corridor there, which is, you know, a significant economic driver of the city still. But I do think that the, what the city has to sell and, and obviously did so successfully here is its strategically located position. I think that that's significant. And with the conversations um, that we've been having for years about the impact that a new bridge over the river could have, uh, turning Detroit into more of a logistics hub. And I mean, that's that's huge because you look at Chicago, for example, Chicago has long sold itself as strategically located, but Detroit is as well. And so I think location, location, location was the story here for Amazon. Hmm. And, you know, ultimately the volume, they just have to have more of these types of sites if they're going to serve people efficiently. And so if the city can establish a really good relationship with them here, who knows if maybe they could do something like this again, or if it'll attract other companies in the logistics area. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers. Aaron, welcome to the show. Good morning, Stephen. I'm very disappointed and saddened about the loss of historic architecture. From the articles I read, all of the present buildings on the fairground site will be torn down. We've already lost so many historic structures in this city. This warehouse will add nothing to our city culturally, and we're going to have a a large suburban-style warehouse right at the border. Hmm. Uh, Aaron, I, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about those buildings that are there, the old State Fair buildings, and what would happen to them in this in this deal. And I didn't see in the article that the, that they were going to be torn down. And, and I and I trust that that you're right that they are. But but before I go to Nathan, Aaron, I wonder what you make of the fact that we've already done that at that site. I mean, the Meyer store and the other. Stores that are around Meyer are also very suburban in the way that they're designed. Is it? Is it? Uh, I mean, have we have we sort of crossed that line already uh, in a way that that we couldn't turn back in your in your estimation? Well, the historic fairground structures are still there, and in my opinion, they could have been incorporated into any new development. They could have used one of those buildings for the transit center, at least. And yeah. I'm not happy about the suburban style Meyer store, but it's already there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm just disappointed that the city has chosen once again to um, kind of erase its history. Hmm. Yeah, Aaron, I, I I think that's a really important dimension of the considerations here in the conversation. Nathan Bomey, talk about the historic nature of this site and and someone like Amazon coming in and Kind of blowing through that in order to build a very different and more suburban style structure. Yeah, I saw the concerns there on social media in particular about the historic structures being demolished as a result of this. And I think the mayor sort of said that, well, you know, we've been sitting around hoping for something to happen with these with these sites for quite a long time and nobody's been able to pull something off. And how much longer can we wait? I, I don't know if that's a compelling 
perspective to people or not. But I guess there needs to be a balancing act in situations like this between the desire to have investment, the desire to have new jobs, in this case, 1,200 people, uh, with, the, with the, you know, the desire to also preserve culture and history. And, I, you know, it's, it's really difficult. I'm not familiar with the way, precise way in which this is, which the Amazon facility is going to be laid out and whether they could have somehow fit it on the property while preserving those buildings. Mm-hmm. But that's something that we should look at going forward and whether, I'm not sure if there's any action that can be taken still to preserve the site. Yeah. Aaron, I really appreciate the call and you raising those points. Let's go to Sam in Hazel Park. Sam, welcome to the show. Yeah, um, I have a question about this, which is we already have a D.C. right here in Hazel Park, Hmm. and it seems pretty big to me. I've seen a quarter mile worth of Amazon trucks lined up outside it. Are (laughs) they planning on just um, combining this, or is this just are they that big that they need another one? Uh, that's a great question, Sam. I don't know the answer to that. Nathan, do you know if this affects that Amazon distribution center in Hazel Park in any way? I, I don't know for sure, but I'd be shocked if it affected it. I mean, I think that this speaks to the sheer scale of this company. I mean, we I think it's really hard for us to get our arms around exactly how big it is. It's so significant at this point. They're approaching a million employees now. And, you know, this uh, the, the sheer size of their uh, stock market valuation and sales. Um, and, you know, they're in many different areas. I mean, we think of them often as a retail company, but they're really also a server company and a logistics company, as I mentioned before. And so, no, I don't think that this will affect that. And I would anticipate you'll see even more investments about like them in Michigan in the future. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about Amazon. We're going to talk about its positioning as a retailer and the way it is really bumping up against and even swallowing up other retailers in our country. Uh, We also want to continue to hear from you about Amazon coming to Detroit and Amazon competing with other retailers. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Roger in Oak Park, Mary in Farmington. We'll hear from you next as well. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. My guest is Nathan Bomey. He's a USA Today business reporter, formerly of the Detroit Free Press. We're talking about Amazon, Amazon's designs on the state fairgrounds here in Detroit. A big deal, huge deal announced this week by Mayor Mike Duggan and others that uh, will build a huge distribution center for Amazon at the corner of Woodward and 8 Mile. We're also talking about Amazon's positioning as a retailer and the way it is both bumping up against and in some cases just absolutely devouring other retailers. If you would like to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think of the fairgrounds idea for Amazon. Tell us what you Uh, Think about changing that site in that way uh, and for that purpose. Uh, Also, give us a call and tell us what you think about Amazon as a retailer. Are you somebody who is reliant on that very easy and fast delivery of everything from garbage bags to electronics? 
uh, and furniture? Uh, or are you somebody who's really skeptical of that business model and what it's doing to our economy and especially to other retailers? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Nathan, I want to start here with this segment. Amazon is negotiating a deal to potentially take over former department store spots like JCPenney and Sears and now Lord & Taylor, which is also declaring bankruptcy. Uh, what can you tell us about all of that? Well, it is really interesting because this could be the first real a significant move in which Amazon uh, basically makes itself known in malls throughout America. I mean, we know that they have a few shops here and there, some bookstores, for example. But if they were to take space that was formerly occupied by JCPenney or Sears, then Amazon's really right there alongside a lot of the other retailers that they actually compete with. Now, the idea is that they might use some of these department stores as, again, logistics hubs or distribution centers or even warehouses. They, you know, you could also envision the possible use of those sites as returns sites, for example. So if you have a package that didn't work out, you can end up walking it to right to Amazon itself instead of shipping it back. So, you know, there are all kinds of different uses we could envision. Um, it's not a done deal or anything like that. But the fact that they're having conversations about this is an indicator of how much uh, Amazon has truly taken over uh, the these you know, the retail that was done historically by these more generalized retailers. Hmm. And what does this say about the fate of American shopping malls and the fate of American retail? I, I, I find myself really torn a lot about Amazon and the change that it's brought to that that sector of, of our economy and to the industry. Uh, it, it is so convenient. It is so easy. And yet, uh, the company is so voracious in the way that it is just gobbling up market share and making it really hard, if not impossible, for other retailers to exist. Does this does this move really uh, sort of crystallize the shift that 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 is taking place? And is that a is that something we should be really concerned about? I think that's a really well good but good way to put it. I think it has crystallized that shift, and I think that it signals an acceleration of this digital economy that we're seeing. I mean, I think before the pandemic, of course, we saw people buying more and more things online, doing more and more activity online. But now, I mean, it, it has accelerated things that I think we didn't believe would be happening online for years. I mean, you have seen restaurants, for example, that weren't doing online ordering, suddenly, you know, basically doing online ordering, relying almost exclusively on that almost overnight. And that's been pretty fascinating to see. Um, and uh, that is, a, I guess, shows the entrepreneurship and capability of some of those institutions. But when it comes to basic retail, a lot of these shops and stores and chains haven't been able to keep up because they don't have the kind of money that to invest in the logistics and the you know online technology that's necessary to 
do the you know to, to do what Amazon is able to do. Now, the good news for for malls and for retailers is that they do have some advantages over Amazon. One is they have physical locations, and actually, if you look at the research, um, research shows that people want both a physical location and an online operation. And when the two are working hand in hand, it can actually be a really good experience. And so, if you look at you know stores that are doing it well. Uh, you know, like, for example, Kohl's actually has embraced Amazon and they're mm. doing Amazon returns inside their stores because it's generating foot traffic for them. And so, you know, there are some retailers that have figured out ways in which to kind of live with it, even if it's not what they wanted. Um, they're figuring out how to adapt. But I do think I am concerned about the future of American malls, uh, you know, for example, and, and a lot of these retailers that are too generalized. You need to be a little bit more specialized, I think, to survive in this world. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Tom, who is calling us from Sarnia. Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm a dual national. I live in Canada and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Hmm. Uh, I I retired two years ago, but just before I retired, Amazon started building a huge distribution center near the airport in Salt Lake City. It's a million square feet, employs 1,500 people. Uh, It was built on land that people thought nobody would build anything on. Since that two years, six more buildings that size have been built by other distribution operations. Uh, and Salt Lake City is a big distribution center because it's, it's the intersection of I-80 and I-15 in the western U.S. Uh, and I noticed, I'm just coming back from Salt Lake, I noticed when I was out there that Amazon has leased another building, I'm not sure if all or part, of another million square foot building about two miles away from the one they built. So it's big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. and in your in your judgment, Tom, is is this kind of development good for the area where it's happening in Salt Lake? These huge buildings, and as you say, Amazon did did it, and then you saw other people yeah. mimic that. Uh, yeah, does that yeah, change the character is, of it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, Salt Lake is a huge distribution center because of the intersection of those two, uh, the east west I eighty and the north south I fifteen. Sure. So there are hundreds and hundreds of these buildings out in that industrial part of town, in the western mm. part of town, northwestern part of town. And they're going to be building a lot more. Yeah. Um, they're going up, I mean, almost every week there's another uh, pad being uh, poured, and 10 months later there's a fully operational building. Wow. Uh, wow. So I understand the, the concern about tearing down the old buildings in, uh, <laughs> in the state park yeah. in, in Detroit. I'm, I'm a big fan of architecture and antiquity. Uh, and I don't, it's too bad that that's happening. But as one of the commenters said, they've been trying to do something with those buildings. And the cost of, you know, retrofitting and maintaining old buildings is high. Yeah. And yeah. it's much cheaper to, unfortunately, it's much cheaper to tear one down and put up and build one new. of these yeah. mega structures literally overnight. Yeah. I mean, I would come into work every morning, look out my office window. And there was another. There's another building. <laughs> huge segment of the Amazon thing built. It was it was astonishing. Yeah, yeah. You know, Tom, they just I, bring in those big slabs. They have these huge cranes. They just pick up the slab and drop it in. Wow, Tom, so, I really appreciate the call and and that perspective. I, I didn't know didn't know that uh, about Salt Lake City. 
Uh, Nathan, talk about the possibility here of maybe building something like this at the fairgrounds, attracting other kinds of distributors who might want to build even bigger buildings. There is right across the street, right across 8 Mile uh, from this site, uh, the the multimodal uh, uh, transfer spot from truck to rail. That, that seems to maybe suggest that that's the kind of place and that's the kind of business we could uh, we could really do well with. Yeah, I, I would say never underestimate the role of corporate America as the lemming. You know, I think that they that when they see someone like an Amazon do something, then they tur- that, that's a head turner and they say, you know, maybe I should be there as well. And I think that's this that's the biggest driver here. Not necessarily that you need to be next door to Amazon to work with them or something because Amazon's doing a lot of its stuff on its own now. Um, but because I think that it, it would illustrate others that if this is an important place for them to be from a distribution perspective, then how about, for example, Amazon's biggest competitor, Walmart, you know, why, why wouldn't they want something like that? So I think once you start to think along those lines, that's when you can create a real hub of activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Tom, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to David and Warren. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Guest. Uh, I just want to say, you know, capitalism at what price? I mean, the we're losing our traditions and Detroit is, you know, especially known for letting the old traditional things go. You know, Stephen, I know you have a heart for the state fair mm-hmm. and, you know, I went there, I remember in 1964 seeing the Supremes <laughs> from the balcony of the Ford auto display. Yeah. You know, um, I had hoped back about, uh, 20 years ago, there was a, a movement to try to create urban agriculture um, in in the city, uh-huh. and and I thought that uh, Magic Johnson and his investment group would have possibly used Michigan State University Extension Service to uh, transform those buildings into classrooms for for kids who are interested in the inner city who are interested in urban ag- agriculture. Huh. Yeah, and um, see that would have been a a big plus for the city of Detroit and those buildings would have been used. They would have been. Now it's yeah. just more shipping. I mean, I'm over here by DeQuinter 10 mile and they're, they tore down a racetrack and now it's just more and more trucking shipping, um, sure. you know, facilities. Yeah. Uh, David, I, I, I really appreciate the call and and you're absolutely right. I do have real fond memories of the state fair from growing up here in the, in the seventies and, and eighties in particular, um, but but I also know how long that has not been true, and and how long that site has sat vacant. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm a little torn about the idea of whether you just keep waiting for something like the state fair or something with a real great kind of public use to come back to that site, or whether you try to move forward with somebody who's uh, who's willing to invest in it. And and Amazon obviously made a good enough case to, to the mayor and, and the other folks who control development in town to get that done. Uh, Nathan Bomey uh, talked, though, about this idea that you could have incorporated some of those old buildings and, and done something with them uh, as opposed to, to blowing through them. Well, Amazon certainly has the money to do it. I mean, there's no doubt right? about it. They, they have the finances, they have the capability, but I, I'm going to guess that they 
weren't willing to uh, to adapt this particular site since they are on such a rampage when it comes to development that there's you know that they weren't going to stop to to do that here. I, you know, I also just simply don't know whether the condition of those sites was such that it could be easily done. You know, I, I imagine that it would it would require some sort of environmental review and you know really significant uh, look at the architectural integrity and all of that. And you know, I just don't know whether it could have worked, but. You know, if we can make, wave a magic wand, we certainly would do it. But it's uh, it, it it seems like the the logistics of it would have been difficult. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, David, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Mary in Farmington. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, I, my comment is kind of brief. It's just that jobs are good, but Amazon is evil. <laughs> Mary, I know a lot of people who agree with you, and and as I said. I just have this real tension, internal tension about Amazon. It is so easy uh, and it is so convenient. It frees up time that I would be spending standing in line in stores and things like that. I, I, it's really hard to resist that. I get the idea that it is uh, a company that, that is taking over everything else and, and whose practices are maybe – Somewhat questionable, but uh, Nathan, I'll give you the last word. We've got about 30 seconds left uh, about whether Amazon is indeed evil. Washington, D.C. are going to be looking at pretty hard over the next several years from an antitrust perspective and other issues. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I'll leave that to the to the politicians. <laughs> but I do think that if they're going to be growing, then we as a community want to convert some of those uh, that growth into jobs. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Nathan Bomey, business reporter. At USA Today and former staffer at the Detroit Free Press. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for being with us today. Still a big fan, Stephen. Thanks much. <laughs> we'll talk with you soon. That's going to do it for us this week. Come back on Monday when we're going to talk about a report that says almost half of all Black-owned small businesses have closed during the pandemic. And Michigan State University economist Charles Ballard is going to talk about his own study on racial wage gaps across the country. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.